This is The Media Show with Jack Houghton. Hello and welcome to The Media Show. I'm Jack Houghton and tonight we'll discuss Tucker Carlson's interview with Vladimir Putin and major changes to Piers Morgan's UK show. But first, US President Joe Biden has given an extraordinarily bizarre press conference defending himself after he was found to have posed a national security risk for retaining and disclosing classified documents. Now, considering Donald Trump is being hounded by the DOJ for retaining and disclosing classified documents, it infuriated many that Biden had been given a free pass by prosecutors. The reason? Well, in part, special counsel Robert Herr found that Biden's damning cognitive state would make it very difficult to convict him with a jury. The press conference Biden called gave media no advanced warning, which is extremely rare in itself, and the press pack had plenty of questions. You would respond with the words, watch me. Watch Many me. American people have been watching and they have expressed concerns about your age. That is they, your judgment. They, that is your judgment. That is not the judgment concerns. of the press. They express concerns about your mental acuity. They say that you are too old. Well, if Biden wanted to convince the world that his mental state had not deteriorated, rambling like a deranged old man and pointing his finger at an impromptu press conference did not achieve that goal. The performance was frazzled, defensive, and he made many stumbles and many mistakes. Biden reaffirmed his intent to stay on as president, but many will be asking the only question that matters. If he is too unwell to be prosecuted, how can he run a country? Well, joining me on the panel this week is the Australian's media writer, Sophie Ellsworth, and the Daily Telegraph's Tim Blair. Tim, uh, it was a very volatile press conference that Joe Biden has called out of nowhere. To me, it shows that there are cracks that are appearing in his media strategy. The headlines are getting to him. This comparison to Donald Trump's case is getting to him. And he attempted to set the record straight. Did he achieve that? Uh, no, in fact, he, I think he made matters more difficult for himself. He opened further questions, especially in, in his, his answer to the references in the report, the Department of Justice report, that Biden didn't know when his son Bo died. He couldn't place the date of that death, of his own son's death, within several years. And Biden, in the in the press conference we've just seen a, an ex extract from, became furious, saying, you know, how dare they even raise this? Well, it's a fair enough question to raise when Biden himself keeps referring to his son Bo dying in Iraq when he, in fact, died in the US in a hospital. He'd returned from service in Iraq and uh, and died subsequently in hospital. Biden's all over the place on these sort of things, and, and when he draws attention to it, it doesn't do much, much good. Uh, I'd also point out that Biden's media strategy is largely determined by the media itself, and that strategy is protect Joe Biden at all costs. And now that's blown apart. That's gone. That's... Uh, they can't possibly, even even the most sucky pro-Biden organisations on earth, <coughs> Washington Post, are going to have to reevaluate their treatment of this terrible, terrible president. Yeah, and Sophie, Tim raises such a great point. The, the, the roar from the media at this press conference when Joe Biden stopped with his prepared speech and, and opened the floor to questions, there was this raucous anger from the press. I've never seen anything quite like that at a Biden press conference do we think that Tim's right and the media is going to have to stop running this protection racket? 
Well, Jack, it's really interesting because they have been running a protection racket largely in the US media for President Biden. Uh, and his display today was not an impressive one by any stretch. Uh, and when people criticise him about his age, I actually don't think this is about his age. It's about his cognitive abilities. And is he up to the job? Is he mentally up to the job of US president, regardless of his numbers on his birth certificate? Uh, and this is becoming a real issue and it's becoming very obvious. He got very snarky there in that press conference uh, when he was asked about this. So uh, they've obviously picked a wound here and he's pretty upset about it. But he's shown time and time again, Jack, that he, he he's quite dithering in his comments. He sort of stumbles around. He sort of doesn't know what he's talking about. This is a real concern heading into the presidential election. Yeah, and Tim, just picking up on that, what's your prediction? Does he survive to actually run again against Trump? Or are they going to have to replace him at this stage? I noticed there's a, a line from Gary Kasparov, who's, a, you know, the, the chess grandmaster, now US resident, and very much on the Democrat side of politics. And he said that um, he offered some advice, which is always worth hearing, strategic advice from a chess grandmaster. And it was Joe, I'm paraphrasing, Joe, just get out, quick, go. You know, then you've got to look at the secondary thing. Then you've got Kamala Harris potentially coming in with several months to go before the election. Uh, she's probably the only Democrat in the US at the moment who's polling worse than Joe Biden. It's a hell yeah. of a situation they've engineered for themselves, I'd say, Jack. Yeah, very, very difficult. Well, let's move on now to the youth crime crisis in Queensland. Good evening. Five teenagers are tonight under arrest in relation to the stabbing death of a Queensland grandmother in a shopping centre car park. Only Nine News was there as police swarmed. It was senseless and disturbing, but for the Premier of Queensland, Stephen Miles, his response made the victim's family very angry. Uh, the absence of any reference to youth crime in your speech to the Queensland media Come would on. have been noted. Uh, <laughs> by more than a few, including the people of those communities, Premier, I'm sure you can see, the last two summers have been bookended by the murders of young mother, Emma Lovell, and just three days ago, grandmother, Violene White. It was insensitive, arrogant, and showed that this man has absolutely no contrition for his failed policy outcomes and no humanity for a crisis of his government's own making. Labor watered down bail laws and relied on pseudoscientific theories about how to prevent reoffending by using a gentler touch. It hasn't worked. This is what the daughter of that murdered grandmother had to say about the Premier. You know what? I was really glad he said it, because I'm like, you're not the man for the job. If you can't reassure people in, your, in the community that you're, this is at the utmost priority, now, even though you just saw the video of Miles laughing, clear as day, he is pretending it never happened. Even worse, he is claiming he was misrepresented. It is all just fake news, according to Miles. He tweeted this out. No one in Queensland, myself included, is laughing at this tragedy, and for any news outlet to suggest so is disrespectful. A family and a community is grieving. Sensational headlines and misrepresentations have no part to play in Queensland this week. Now, let's have another look at the footage and you be the judge. Uh, the absence of any reference to youth crime in your speech to the Queensland Media Club would have been noted uh, 
by more than a few, including the people of those communities. Premier, I'm sure you concede. That what a deceptive weasel of a man. Overseeing a government which has empirically failed on law and order, leading to senseless murder and crime, and he thinks the whole situation is just a joke. And when he is asked by a journalist at a media lunch for his response, he chuckles like an idiot because he thinks he shouldn't be asked about crime if he wanted to talk about housing instead. There are few things more dangerous than a Premier with a glass jaw and a low IQ. Sophie, it's an absolutely horrific story, this family going through this. For Stephen Miles to try and play this game about I've been misquoted, it's misrepresentation, what do you make of that as a strategy? Well, I think it's a poor one, Jack. And if I was his media advisor, I'd be pulling him aside pretty darn quickly and telling him to, uh, you know pull up his socks here and get his uh, stories straight and his media performances in order because this is a disaster. This type of behaviour uh, at press invitations where media are could cost him his job. People won't see anything humorous about this and it just makes him look very disingenuous. So uh, I imagine the... Uh, opposition up in Queensland will be clipping up this video to be using in their uh, commercials come the Queensland election later this year. This is very bad form. He needs to behave very carefully in front of media because it only takes one step out of line and the media's got you on camera. So I think this was a big problem for him this week and it could be a very, very big error in his uh, run-up to the election. Tim Blair, what are your thoughts? Uh, it was it was fascinating to watch. I think in the early moments of, uh, of that question and answer uh, section that we saw, I think the Queensland Premier might have been sort of stuck in a kind of a nervous laughter moment, which was mm. inappropriate. And uh, and the journalist actually gave him an, a way out. The journalist dragged the question out a little bit to give the Premier a moment to maybe reconsider his his physical and facial response. And he didn't pick it up. He didn't realise what was going on. He didn't realise that he was digging himself into a deeper hole by, by keeping up this sort of mirthful, amused, giggly, idiot uh, kind of behaviour. And it, it, it was to, it was a, it was many things all, all happening wrong at once. And as Sophie said, you know, the media advisor would be dragging him aside and, and you know, well, maybe the media advisor should be dragging himself aside and, and putting a putting an <laughs> yes. ad in the paper for, uh, you know, maybe another position because it, it could be that, but <laughs> the fact that uh, the Premier is beyond help at this, this point. Yeah, well said. And that was Adam Walters who asked the question. He's one of our reporters mm. up there, great journalist. But, look, let's move on now to a major media news out of the UK with a pivot by Piers Morgan from linear broadcasting to social media streaming. Now, Piers Morgan Uncensored, a globally syndicated show, including to this network, will wrap up as Morgan opts to take the format purely digital. In the age of Joe Rogan and Ben Shapiro, digital-only operations have been proven to be capable of driving enormous revenue streams. And for Morgan, his show was a behemoth on platforms such as YouTube and Facebook, with millions and millions of people regularly watching highlight reels every night. Now, let's bring the panel back in to discuss. Uh, Sophie, uh, it's a very interesting decision to move away from linear broadcasting, but it seems like this new area that a lot of personalities and commentators are going to because of the revenue opportunities. What are your thoughts? 
Well, it certainly is interesting, Jack, but it's whether or not it will work. There's so much noise on channels such as the YouTube channel or the YouTube platform. Uh, you've really got to have some cut through to get an audience. Now, I don't think uh, Piers Morgan will have that issue given he's a big name, but it's also interesting just to point out the changing habits of the way people consume news and information, Jack. Uh, you know, they're not just watching linear uh, TV set, you know, boxes in front of them at home. They're streaming on their devices and so forth. So uh, he's moving away from this clearly and going down the streaming line, but let's wait and see if he can hold a strong audience. Yeah, Tim, it's, it's a great point about that audience. Mm. I think every successful media business now has to have um, a multitude of touch points with their audience. It can't just be be one thing. Do, do you think Piers Morgan as a brand is going to be able to be a one-man media company, essentially, in the way that people like Joe Rogan and Ben Shapiro are able to do quite effectively? Yeah, I think his name is big enough, absolutely, and mm. his, his, his ego is probably around about in the same, same size, uh, sort of on the same size parallel. But I think, I think, to me, the most fascinating thing is that other people who've gone from traditional media to online, uh, either as podcasters or as YouTubers or whatever, they've done it because they haven't had an option. They've either been let go by established media or they've never been picked up by established media. I mean, you, you go back 10 years and not one major US network would have even entertained the idea for a moment of giving Joe Rogan a talk show about current events. It just wouldn't mm. have been, why, why Joe Rogan? Now, of course, he's paid trillions because it's worked. Um, the difference here is that Piers is with an established media company, has always been with established media companies, and is apparently jumping voluntarily, which makes this uh, a, a much, much, uh, much more distinct kind of strategy. It's going to be fascinating to see how it works out. Very interesting, and we'll keep a close eye on it. Now, we're going to take a quick break, but when we're back, both of our major party leaders take on the ABC. A troubled young woman, her evil parents, we never had any issues between us. Has justice been done? Uh, I'm in a prison. Join journalist Richard Gilliatt as he delves into one of Australia's most gripping cases. Shadow of Doubt, a new podcast investigation from The Australian. I cannot find one of these allegations that's possible. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Now, the ABC's Sarah Ferguson has locked heads with our major party political leaders this week, and her pointed style of questioning has sparked complaints on both sides of the political aisle. First, Ferguson had Prime Minister Anthony Albanese on her program, The 7.30 Report, and he faced tough questions about his broken election promise. So when you said on the 15th of January that the government's position hasn't changed, was that just a reflection of the facts on that day, a way not to let on that you were looking at changes then? No, well, it was a fact, but then. I was pretty upfront in December. I said we were looking at ways for uh, cost of living uh, pressures but to be relieved. But you never not relieved. ruled out changing the tax, tax cuts until the moment came when you changed your commitment. Well, that's when we changed our cuts. position. So that, the evolution we... of that thinking, that's a quote from you on January the 15th. Yeah. So at that point on that day, is that an honest answer to the question that the government's position hasn't yes, changed? Yes, it is. We, well, we hadn't changed our position until the Cabinet did. And, and I, I run a proper Cabinet government uh, where ministers are encouraged to be in charge of their portfolios, where we treat the public service with respect. 
It was a tough interview. And to me, that's the core question out of this. It isn't as much whether he broke a promise. What is truly immoral about what the Prime Minister did is he knew he was going to break the promise and still stood up and lied. That goes to integrity. And Ferguson's interrogation sparked fury from the usual suspects on the left who bully ABC journalists every time they ask Labor a tough question. But probably to her credit, Ferguson was actually getting the same accusations of bias from the other side of the political aisle just a few days later. Here she is clashing with opposition leader Peter Dutton, who was pulling no punches. Is it's been a difficult first week for you here. Do you feel also that your political momentum is slipping away? I just think it's such an ABC perspective, if I might say. Um, all the culture that's so far left within the ABC just seems to permeate through many questions uh, when you go on to a program like let this. Me, and, let, and let me, the, let me ask why you would characterise it in those terms. If we look at the situation, I there think was widespread agreement. I think agreement. the only journalist that's putting that analysis there, apart from The Guardian, uh, apart from you know, some of the other left-wing online publications, uh, the fact is that we are more united than ever in the Liberal Party. Nobody's looking backwards. Uh, we are holding the government to account. The reason the Prime Minister has acted to break his promise and to lie to the Australian public is because of the pressure that we've put him under. Dutton's response triggered many headlines, including this from news.com.au. The opposition leader accuses 7.30 host of left-wing questions and interview. So who was right? Was Ferguson unfair to Albanese or Dutton or both or neither? Sophie, it's normally a good sign as a journalist when both political parties accuse you of bias, but what did you make of those interviews? Do you, do you think one leader had more of a gripe than the other? Mm. I, I think if you watch those interviews in full, uh, and Sky News host Chris Kenny did a good uh, an, uh, analysis of this, where it really showed Sarah Ferguson quite friendly and uh, much easier questions to the Prime Minister in contrast to Dutton. Now, that's just an interpretation. Some people may disagree with that. But unfortunately for the ABC, they seem to continue to have this, uh, you know, reputation of bias, and it's always leaning to the left. So uh, I, sus you know, suggest that the viewers watch those two interviews and make up their own mind. Yeah, that's a good point. Tim Blair, it is interesting as well that the trust, I think, between the opposition leader, Peter Dutton, and the ABC has been somewhat shattered. And then so it is starting off from a point of hostility. Uh, is, is there an obligation on the journalist to try and repair that? Or should Sarah Ferguson be ruthless and pointed and, and keep going? What's your thought? Yes, Sarah Ferguson should be ruthless and pointed, but it should be pointed in both directions, as, <laughs> uh, as Sophie was saying. That's fine. It, it's interesting to me that as a, as a live interviewer in those one-on-one -on -one situations, Sarah Ferguson is much better, um, much more combative than, for example, some of her work, uh, her longer form work on Four Corners, which is, much of it is premeditated, goes in with an attitude, you know, Trump is Satan, so on. And then they, then they sort of fit the whole story around these terrible things, around these terrible uh, beliefs. But when it's just one-on-one, -on -one, uh, it's, it's much more illuminating, even though, obviously, some will detect bias. Um, at, least, at least it does bring forward uh, responses directly and in real time from the people she's having a go at. It's very different to, like I say, the long-form work. 
Yeah, very good points. Well, look, let's move on because US commentator Tucker Carlson has landed perhaps the most interesting interview a journalist could ever hope for. This week, he sat down with Russian President Vladimir Putin to discuss the Ukraine war, and the conversation goes for more than two hours. Let's take a look at the start. On February 22nd, 2022, you addressed your country in a nationwide address when the conflict in Ukraine started. And you said that you were acting because you had come to the conclusion that the United States, through NATO, might initiate a, quote, surprise attack on our country. And to American ears, that sounds paranoid. Tell us why you believe the United States might strike Russia out of the blue. How did you conclude that? It's not that America, the United States, was going to launch a surprise strike on Russia. I didn't say that. Are we having a talk show or a serious conversation? <laughs> Now, we all know much of what Putin says will be conflated with spin, deception and rigid talking points. That would shock almost no one. But for other journalists to suggest that Carlson should be punished for even speaking to Putin is quite frankly insane. The National Review reports a member of the European Parliament is calling on the legislative body to consider imposing sanctions on Tucker Carlson over his interview with Russian President Vladimir Putin, according to a new report. As Putin is a war criminal and the EU sanctions all who assist him in that effort, it seems logical that the External Action Service examines his case as well, MEP Guy Verhofstadt, a former Belgian Prime Minister, said. For Carlson, he explained why he thought it was not only appropriate, but important to hear from Putin. There are risks to conducting an interview like this, obviously. So we thought about it carefully over many months. Here's why we're doing it. First, because it's our job. We're in journalism. Our duty is to inform people. Two years into a war that's reshaping the entire world, most Americans are not informed. Sophie, when did it become a crime to interview somebody who's controversial as a journalist? Well, I think it's interesting here, Jack. It's certainly not a crime to interview someone who's controversial. Uh, however, you know, it's, it's whether they're asking the right questions or whether they're giving the person a free ride. Now, this Tucker Carlson interview dropped today, Australian time, uh, Friday morning. Uh, and there's a lot of people still yet to hot watch the whole thing in full. But there have been many other media outlets that have tried to secure interviews uh, with President Putin and have been unsuccessful in doing so. So it's interesting that he has agreed to do the interview with Tucker Carlson and a lot of people around the world will be viewing this to see what they make of it. Uh, I've watched some... Uh, parts of it and there was some really interesting comments that Putin made about Evan Gerskovich, the Wall Street journalist, uh, and said that he hopes to see him return to his homeland of America, which is very important. I'm paraphrasing there. So there's a lot to take out from this interview. It is two hours long, Jack. Yeah, very good points. Tim Blair, what, 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 are, you, what are your views on the situation? If you had an opportunity to sit down with Vladimir Putin, would you take it? Yes. I think um, most journalists would. Uh, we'd all come at it with, from different angles, hopefully. But yeah, he's, he's one of the most significant figures in the world at present, um, has been for some time. And, uh, and prior to uh, Tucker Carlson, many other 
respected journalists, i.e., you know, respected by their peers, lefties, have interviewed Putin. So I don't think it's anything extraordinary that he's done it. But you've got to remember, um, you know, we've had circumstances where people from the ABC have been criticised for interviewing, I think, was Steve Bannon was one of uh, Donald Trump's advisers. And, and they were criticised for interviewing, you know, that figure of evil. So you're always going to get in trouble because you'll be seen to be, you know, what's the phrase, platforming uh, people such as Putin or whoever that we talk to. But, you know, even going back to things like the Gulf War, people interviewed all manner of, you know, terrorists, uh, well beyond uh, the likes of uh, the likes of a, a national leader. So there's a tradition of this sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I don't know if I'm the only one who thinks this, but I'm just curious to see what he actually has to say and to, to preempt it by suggesting before you've even heard the interview that he should be sanctioned, I think is quite egregious. But, look, let's move on to another segment, Stories of the Week. Sophie, why don't you walk us through what you think is one of the most important stories? Jack, this is a really sad tale of the missing Ballarat mother, Samantha Murphy, who's been missing since last weekend, is still missing as we're speaking now. Uh, and there's an almighty search on for her in Ballarat uh, to try and find this mother who went running and hasn't been seen since the weekend. Uh, very sad story, and it's really touched the nation with people obviously just wanting to find out what happened to her, and hopefully she's returned home safe. Yeah, it's a very, very disturbing story, and we'll obviously be updating um, on this channel as that keeps coming, and we'll stay on that. Tim Blair... What's your story of the week? What's well, on a slightly lighter note? Um, uh, Rowan Atkinson, you know, who's the famous Mr Bean character, he wrote a piece for The Guardian a little while ago saying that EVs, maybe they're not all that great. And now he's being slammed by the electric car lobby for destroying EV sales in the UK. He's the single most evil figure in the world, the man who hates EVs. Mr Bean, hats off to you, sir. Great win. Well played. Well said. Well, thank you both for joining me. Unfortunately, that's all the time that we've got for tonight. Thank you for joining us. Up next is Sky News documentary, Painkillers. My name is Manny Karoudis, and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts.